Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising, with 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them? Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. This is Leslie Kane, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and this is your listener call-in for the month of December. Four fantastic calls for you. First up, we've got Chad from Missouri talking about the phenomenon, having some general conversation and discussing some of his fascinating sightings he's had over the years. We move then to Tim from London discussing the long-delayed UAP report and also the US stronghold on the UFO subject. We then speak to Mike in Arizona who's never had his own sighting but discusses his 30-plus years fascination with the UFO subject and his own experience with freedom of information requests, which was really, really interesting. And then we move on to a listener voice note that was sent in from Phil discussing his own unique experiences. Thank you to all the callers. And if you want to get involved with the listener call-in that will be recorded throughout the month of December, DM or email ufouapam at gmail.com and we'll get something arranged. It really is fantastic to get to speak to all of you. Without further ado, let's hand over to Chad. Hello. It is very good to have you on finally. We've been going back and forward on emails for a little while. Uh, Chad, listen, the floor is yours. It's a, it's a new month. What do you want to talk about? Well, first thing first is um, what I want to talk about is um hypo center 101 I, I don't remember the guy's name um that uh, is doing the the uh, videos from air, airline pilots ben hansen yes i believe that's his name he's in, out of california and but anyhow what got me really stoked was the fact that uh, i've been watching him here lately and the video from springfield missouri the airline mm-hmm. pilot and they were sh- they shot the pictures of the lights, and it was by that bottom corner s- star of the Big Dipper. Mm-hmm. And um, I seen that in, in July, and I counted around forty four, approximately that lasted about forty minutes. And then right before they got to that star, they would flare up, get real bright, and then go back down. But they were moving in like a um, train. It was like Every minute or two, maybe three, all of a sudden here comes one, two, or three of them. 
they would flare up, flare back down. But I had a pair of binoculars with me and I went to a different vantage point on my property on a hill and they were way off on the horizon. So I'm assuming 20, 30 miles away, maybe if that, maybe right around 20. And, but anyhow, they were going by the big dipper flashing. It was, it was like they'd turn on and then, then, then it would just fade off. Just like what you saw in the video from the Springfield pilot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when they would turn on, sometimes they would just out of the blue, it'd be black and then poof, here comes light. Or some of them would be glowing barely. So with the naked eye, without a pair of binoculars, it'd be really hard to see them. But with the binoculars, you could see the glow and then for that glow turned into a real bright and then it would go back down. But they most of them never turned that glow off. They kept glowing and they went all the way to the horizon. So they were going from the southwest to the northeast like they had a destination. And this, I went outside that night, <clears throat> excuse me, um, looked up to the north, saw what I thought was a satellite flare. Mm-hmm. Then after that, maybe 30 seconds later, here's another one. I thought, well, that's really odd. You don't normally see two in a row. Then I saw a third one. And I thought, oh, these must be Starlink satellites. So I watched for a little bit, and I knew something was up when one of them flared and then started going down. And I thought satellites don't do that. Satellites just have that trajectory they follow, and that's it. Sure. Maybe yeah. a military satellite. That's when I knew something was going on, ran in, got the binoculars, hopped in the golf cart, went to a hill, and then sat and watched until after 1 o'clock in the morning. The only thing going on was there was a, like, three-quarter moon to the southeast. Mm-hmm. That kept me skeptical of what I was watching because I thought, okay, well, there's a light source to my back. And it's facing where they are. And I thought, well, it could be satellite still, but I, that one that moved down was like, okay, that's not normal. That's what made me think. But that's when I wrote it off because I've seen a few things in my life. So I, I was like, mm, I'll just write that off as possibly. And that's how I do it in life. Yeah. And, and on Hypo Center 101, they've uploaded that video. And I said, I seen exactly that happen. And I said, I seen it the month before. And that's when I knew something was going on. So that's what got me all kind of stoked about that. I think straight away, uh, like when people say they see that kind of train, the individual lights. And the first time I saw the Starlink stuff, I was the same as you, where it's like, oh, one, two, three. But for you, the the big difference here is the one that dropped. Because even the flaring and the glowing can still be light hitting off of a satellite in in space, wherever, or the orbit, whatever they might be. And I think unless you're, you're... even pilots make mistakes looking at these things. But for you, you think you've looked at it long enough. And again, are you putting a lot of credit into the pilots talking about seeing these things regularly at that sort of spot? Because that bottom corner of the Big Dipper, wasn't it, was was talked about? Yep. Yep. Do you think there's some kind of reason for that? I don't know. It may just be that... I don't, that's weird. And when I saw it, I didn't, at first I didn't put two and two together, but I kept watching and it was just right before that star, they would light up and then right after a little ways and then they dim back down. It was like intentional, mm-hmm. but, but I thought it was coincidental until I saw the video from Springfield, Missouri. And I said, they did the same thing. And I thought, okay, that's weird. I mean, that's just, I can't, so I looked that star up and it's uh, called a super giant. It's about five, 600 million years old. And it's 2.8 times the size of the sun. So it's already burnt through most of its fuel in its core. It's burning on the outer layer. So it's kind of one of those things where you're like, well, I doubt there's anything going on there. Or I went through my mind. That's when you start the speculation. Of course, it's always speculation in, in this phenomenon. 
is maybe they're saying, hey, look this direction. Keep looking out this way. You know, maybe. I don't know. I doubt it. Um, Might not even be but, thinking they want you to look that far in terms of, you know, as a species, look at this way. But they just know that a point of light in the sky, someone may be looking at that point of light because the star itself is a point of light. So just with a naked eye, you're looking at that, aren't you? You're looking at that Big Dipper formation. So there is yeah. that potential that, you know, if something's looking up this way, that flash is going to get its attention. Yeah, it could be. Um, it's, I don't know, it's like all of it. It's baffling why they do what they do, what's going on, what's the reasoning behind it. Is there even a reasoning? Is it just randomness? I don't know. It's just kind of weird. It just, but it, 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 it stuck in my mind that night. I did look up Starlink satellites. None. There were none. There were only three okay. satellites at the time in the state of Missouri going over when I when I looked online. So I know now that it's like, okay, I don't think that's Starlink because they're showing no Starlink satellite trains. So I said, okay, that's that's another one of those inching it up to that where you cross that fifty percent line in your mind that okay, I lean toward this was something UAP. Yeah. Versus well, I'll just go ahead and file that away in my mind as plain, you know, whatever. And, so, and fair, fair enough, you've done your due diligence to go, do you know what, is this something, can I look it up, can I use a satellite tracking app, and when I speak to Dan or anyone else that do these kind of things, they'll always say the same thing, just check it, because you can check, and like you say, yep. it's not going to be 43 aircraft or 44 aircraft in a row, so the likelihood is satellites, but you've checked it, it wasn't that, so it makes you think, huh, it's something else, yep. uh, and yeah. I think you work similar to me, where you look at something and if you see something in the sky, a point of light, something moving, it's it's probably not anything special. But, and you start to kind of process of elimination, could it be this? Nah, because of this. Could it be this? No, unlikely because of this. So, but you said you've seen things before in the past. Is it similar to this or other types of sightings? Well, right now in this part of the country, there is activity. Um, I, I drive truck. So I, and I've tried truck for 27 years. I've got about a million and a half, two million miles of driving in. So it's, I've, I pay attention because of in, in the sky. Some, this is something I always tell everybody, I, because it, especially for the skeptics. I say, how often do you look up? Mm. When you go outside, how often do you look up? If you don't look up, you don't see. It's just kind of like if you're not going to go out and look at people, you're not going to see people. Sure. If you're going to look up when you're looking for people, they're not really going to be there. So, and when I was, I think it was 16. Pretty sure it was 16, so that would make it like 1990, 91. I'd come back from my cousin's house in Joplin, which is just east of me. And this is what, before that, I was this big skeptic. I was like, eh, if there are aliens, they're not here. So I come back home, parked the truck. I live out in the country, so it's pretty dark. And I looked over toward Joplin, and there's what we call thunderheads or popcorn thunderstorms, where they just, mm -hmm. it's kind of more like what you see in the um, tropics, where you have a, a storm just pop up. And it was building up over across the border into Kansas, which is about 18 miles away. And there was a light. And this reminds you, this is 1990, so you really never had helicopters around here. I don't think we had air ambulances at the time. And I thought, well, there's a helicopter over Joplin hovering. So I thought, well, it must be police, something going on. And I see the light, go inside, get a snack, do whatever. Come back out about 15 minutes later, look to look at the thunderstorm to see how much bigger it got, see if I could see the lightning because there was only one. And and so I got back out, that light's still there. And I thought, boy, there must be something going on. So I observed it for a little while. And then it, 
starts moving toward the kind of east northeast real slow and i thought oh they're coming this way so i went in and got a pair of binoculars not the greatest one and uh went back out looked at it couldn't see much of anything it kept coming and it came toward carthage where i live i live southeast out in the country and it came to within i'd say about a mile maybe maybe we're approximating that and it came and it got slower and slower and then it stopped and through through the binoculars what i saw was literally what you're going to describe as a disc shaped object with a very faint blue glow and i thought what is this i was thinking military i was thinking what's going on i watched it probably three minutes four minutes five minutes somewhere in that kept watching it looked through the binoculars didn't do anything it just came to a stop and it was just sitting there and i thought what is going on and then this white light came out the center right in the center it just come out drop down i don't know i'm guessing maybe 50 100 feet stopped and i that's when my 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 i was i was goosebumps and i just remember just thinking okay now this is not this is something weird and then it started moving away to the south and the object still stayed still it went south probably maybe a couple miles come to a stop that's when the the object the disc started moving north northeast real slow the white light sped back up, come up to the craft, three barrel barrel rolls around it and went all the way over the top three times and then went back up inside of it. And then it started speeding up a little bit. I hopped in the pickup because I'm going to chase it. So I hopped in the pickup and it changed from a faint blue to red, bright red. And then it just sped up probably about 100 miles an hour, 120 miles an hour. I couldn't keep up at 80 miles an hour and it left. And that was my very first one. That one was like, wow and after that i pay attention i look yeah i go out i spend i'd say at least 100 hours maybe 150 hours outside at night looking i'm familiar with the planes i'm familiar with the lights i'm familiar with the 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 um i don't know i call them sky highways where the planes go typical yeah routes and stuff yeah and uh so that and then now with the satellites you know the 30 years ago you didn't see satellites hardly at all now it's just oodles of them so that got, got got this all started. I've seen probably the next 25 years or so, I've seen one driving truck down in southern Oklahoma on Highway 69, this rectangular light. It's as long, I'd say probably 100, 130 feet long by, by about probably 30, 35, 40 feet tall. It would appear by cell towers. 30 seconds, a minute, and then it would turn off. And then I'm driving down the highway, and then I'll, you'd look down the distance, and you'd see it pop back on again. And it did this for probably about two and a half hours, and it would just kind of pop up at a cell tower and then go off. And I thought, my mind always goes back to that, what is the military doing? This mm-hmm. is this is a weird thing. Is this a blimp? Is this what? Are they, they, they studying how to, to manipulate things, listen to things and stuff like that? But it just did that over maybe five or six towers, and that was it. And then just left and then turned off and that was it. That's all I saw. So that's the odd one I saw. Um, I've seen what I think are orbs. That's what I think is going on around here right now. Because when I looked through the binoculars at the stuff at the Big Dipper, that was spherical. They were a spherical object and then like a ball. And then that was it. And they were just, there was nothing else to it. It's just these objects like moving along in a train. Here in the last month, has been 
very interesting. I was driving from, uh, I think it was Amarillo, Texas, back here to Joplin. I got to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Outside of Tulsa, Tulsa, this was a month, five weeks ago, something like that. I'd have to look. And anyway, I looked, and you got the light of the city. And when you're coming into Tulsa, you have hills, so you don't see the city. You just see the light. And there was a bright, large, you know, real faint blue light just sitting there. And I thought, okay, it's a star. And I thought, no, it's not a star. And then it starts moving a little bit. I thought, okay, it's a plane. I probably took off. It was heading toward me. It has its uh, takeoff lights on. Looks bright. Anyway, I watch it. I'm having to drive truck. So I'm driving a truck that weighs, you know, nearly 80,000 pounds. So I got mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility on that. So I keep watching it, watching it. It moves around a little bit. Another jet comes into the picture. It was a red light. And then I looked it back and the blue light was gone. Just the jet there. So you kind of had a comparison. It was a big as it had to be as big as a jet. It thought, okay, wow, that was weird. Um, drove about another 30, 40 minutes, got into what's called Claremore, Oklahoma, just to the south of Interstate 44. Bam, there's that light again. This time it's about two, three hundred feet above the trees. And it's probably maybe three, four, five mile, like it's hard to tell at night, to the south. Sit there the whole time. I watched it and I looked over, it was gone again. I thought, okay, two times. That's get your curiosity going. I can't just write that off. Go, going down the road, probably another 30 miles, and there's a meteor come in. Beautiful. Blue, well, not my blue, excuse me, green and white. And then you can see the pieces coming off of it. So I thought, okay, meteor, trash, whatever. And I turned, looked back down the road, about 15 seconds later, right straight down the road. Probably, I don't know, not very high above the road. Boom, big white light. I thought, okay, now third time, something's up i'm watching it it's hardly moving it's just drifting kind of to the uh, north but also kind of toward me so kind of you'd be going northwest and i watched it i was thinking somebody had their little piper plane or something like that and they flipped the uh, the uh, landing lights on by accident and it's coming Mm. at me yeah so it doesn't seem to be moving so i'm just sitting there thinking okay somebody's out there and they hit the wrong switch and then when I got closer and closer, it was getting closer and closer. That's when I realized that, that this thing is hardly moving. There was one large white light, one medium-sized, half the size white light pulsating. And then kind of back to the back top of the object, a small red light. And as I got closer, that's when I realized, okay, I don't see, I see a structure, but I don't see wings. I don't, it's not moving. It's just sitting right off to the side of the highway and I'm straining to look up at it when I go by. When I look up at it, I'm guessing probably probably three to 500 feet. It's hard to tell, but I had a, a hill probably not even half a mile. I can show on the map that I use that to kind of gauge. So I knew it was taller than that hill, and I thought that hill's probably 200 feet tall. So we're, we're in that vicinity. But when I looked up at it, the white lights were on the outside, and they looked really weird. They they looked They looked... I don't know. I can't explain it. It just looked mm, like a ball and it was a center point of light coming out and it was radiating out from it. And then you had the pulsating one, which was a real slow pulsating. And then you had the red one. As close as I was, there was no wings. You had a body kind of shaped kind of oval a little bit. You didn't see the craft around. It was glowing with bands of glowing light. I don't know what that was, but that's, that's all I could see. That's the one I saw. So that night there was two the two of the blue lights. I'm assuming it may have been the, all the one same thing going on. Um, but then you then uh what was it? 
two weeks ago. I was in coming from t Dallas, Texas through Oklahoma. And there's a town called Pittsburgh, Oklahoma. For about almost an hour, I'm driving toward that area. And Pittsburgh sits a few miles off the uh, highway. And there is a, it's cloudy and it's sprinkling a little bit from time to time. And there's no stars. And there was this one white light. At first, I thought hey, a jet plane, typical, you go through your mind, you watch it, you think this thing ain't moving. I'm headed north. It's north of me. It gets closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, I saw it lower about half the distance. We're talking, gosh, maybe 2,000 feet in elevation. And it dropped to half that. So probably about 1,000 feet. It changed from a white light to a blue light. Hmm. I thought, oh, this is weird. Keep driving. I'm watching it. I look over at it. I'm staring at it for maybe five seconds, 10 seconds. And all of a sudden, it blinks off, blinks back on, blinks off, on, three times blue, then four times red. And I thought, wow, this is weird. And then when it blinked off on the fourth time on the red, it was gone. And I thought, oh, okay, that was strange. Keep driving five minutes later, back up at the same spot, about 2,000 feet, just sitting there. And when there's a part of the highway that kind of turns and faces the northwest, that's when you had a direct shot, look at it. And over down there by Pittsburgh, there's a kind of like a little mini mountain range. And there's towns, little towns and stuff around there. So it kind of lights up the mountain. So you could tell it was considerably taller than the, the mountain. That was, that's what I saw there. Don't know what that was. And then this is the only time in my life I've had people with me to see this. I was getting dropped off by my mom and her boyfriend over at the terminal in Joplin. I live in Carthage and the truck was getting worked on in Joplin. We're driving there and I can see just south of the highway, a bright light and it's real low. And I thought there shouldn't be a star there that bright. It's really bright, really fairly decent sized. And I pointed out and I said, look at that light. I said, what do you, what is that? When, we, when you're looking at it, it's like, well, that's weird. We were going over the interstate highway and it just sitting there and you could tell it was close, probably half a mile, maybe 300 feet, 400 feet in the sky, just sitting there. And then all of a sudden it took off. And when it took off, it was weird. It didn't, it didn't take off. I, the, I don't know. It's just weird. It just like, it's sitting there and then all of a sudden it just, Almost like it's at that near instantaneous. It's just at the speed. It's not super fast, but I would say if you're hauling butt on a, in a car <laughs> on the highway, that's about how fast it was going. It went to the southeast, and it blinked the light off to just dim the light off from very bright to that really faint where you can see it. Mm -hmm. Went on a little bit more for maybe a couple more seconds, and then that turned off. I mean, just like someone flicked a switch. And I was like, good. You guys saw it. Great. Awesome. And so we're all like, I was like, well, now you see what I see from every once in a great while. Then they dropped me off. They left and I'm looking at the sky then. And then here comes another bright light moving towards Springfield, Missouri, slow, probably 500, 800,000 feet. It's kind of hard to tell. And it looked just like that other light and it's going along. I'm on the phone with my mother saying, do you see that? And she goes, yeah, I see it. And then all of a sudden it went off. She goes, hey, it went off. And I was like, yeah. But I said, I can still see that faint glow it has. And it went probably another 10 seconds, eight seconds, and then shut off. So that's what I'm seeing here. I don't know what it is. It's not big, maybe the size of a car. So. I love that. And especially the, the first time you see something. I love hearing the first time people see something and you, you sharing that, describing it back. Um, And I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people listening to this are obviously interested in the UFO subject. And like you, when I speak to people who maybe don't have as much of an interest, 
and they find it incredible to hear someone's had more than one sighting because, well, how unlikely is it to have one, let alone two, three, four, and five? But you're right that when you have a job like you have, where you've got a million and a half, two million miles in a truck, you're always looking up. Same with me when I was walking my dog or if I'm out and about and it's nighttime or if I'm driving back and forward to Glasgow, always looking at the sky with eyes on the road, but you can't help but look up, can you, with an interest in the UFO subject. So if you're looking up and you're not looking down at a cell phone or a mobile phone or, you know, whatever else is at your feet, you're more likely to see something. Uh, Literally a huge flying saucer could come over your head. And if you're standing Mm -hmm. looking at a phone on your Facebook, you're never going to see it, are you? So you're always more (laughs) likely to see stuff looking up. But listen, Chad, awesome speaking to you. And I do hope to speak to you again on the call-in. Thank you very much for sharing your stories as well. All right. I appreciate it. I'm going to be completely honest and admit that I do love a bit of cool technology, but not all the best tech is classified. So when Blendjet got in touch about their new Blendjet 2.0, I was very excited to try it out, especially as one of those protein shake people that many folks hate. Just shaking never has the same results as a blender does, let's be fair. Blend Jet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blend Jet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house, a big one for me folks, and it lasts for 15 or more blends, and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blend Jet 2 cleans itself, just blend with water water, a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 colours available there is something for everyone. Personally I'm a huge fan of the carbon fibre. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THATUFO12 to get 12% off, remember folks, and that free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Next up on the call-in, we're heading over to London and it's regular caller Tim. Tim, welcome to the podcast. How we doing? All right, my friend. Been a while. Yeah, more more of a long-time listener, uh, infrequent caller. I feel like it's been a little while. Yeah. Listen, even for the call-ins, it's been it's been a little while because the October call-in I recorded over about three months, starting back in June. So it has been a while. Don't worry about that. Um, but listen, lots lots to kind of chat about. So what's what's on your mind first off? That's great. Yeah, great question. Lots on my mind. Um, if you put politics aside, that that's dominated some of it the last few days. So I'm hmm. glad to be, glad to be rid of that. If I'm honest. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been really interested in, uh, like most people, in this report coming out. I mean, I uh, I I think for for a laugh, I like to get into the speculation part of it more more because I think it's entertaining more than anything. I don't think there's actually much merit to any of it. I, I think it's probably down to bureaucracy and ineptitude and just red tape getting the thing out the door. That's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of fun to think, oh, well, you know, maybe it's got some explosive content and it needed a rewrite and, you know, we couldn't bear, we, you know, being whoever that might be, we couldn't bear releasing this during the midterms. Uh, we wouldn't want to sway, you know, uh, or put an unqualified distraction in front of the, 
the electorate. So it's interesting to watch this from a distance. And I also, as an American who's lived abroad a long time, I it's interesting to watch how this all unfolds with with the topic as like like a center stage piece in America. I mean, for for our let's say small community, I've I've probably even mm-hmm. talked to you about this before, but I just find it really more and more compelling. I guess not interesting, but compelling that the U.S. has such a strong foothold in this topic because clearly it's happening in many other places in the planet. It's well documented. It's well researched. I mean, I've this. I was pick. I picked this up the other day for for almost ten quid or less. Delivered. It was the it's the book by. Um, Dr. Lear, uh, who went down and talked to the people in Virginia, um, and having watched uh, James Fox's really well done documentary that he did on that, I wanted some more information on that region, what's happened down there, and it just goes on and on. In this in this book, there's so many other kind of documented, well researched cases in that area. It's such a hot spot, but a common thread with a lot of it is. The Americans show up and take it. The stuff gets sent to the U.S. They, they've they've clearly got some kind of dominance in this position, and it doesn't surprise me. They've been, you know, since the end of the Second World War, they've become a very, you know, powerful force. So, yeah, I, I keep a I keep a watchful eye on it. I, I sort of used to complain about it. I mean, like, why, you know, why does America dominate the the conversation here? You know, clearly these things don't just happen there. Um, but for for some some reason they are they are the seemingly the top of the food chain in this in this topic and maybe that reason will be revealed in the near future. Yeah, the, the first first one we'll go with the second point with the U.S. stronghold on this, and I, I can kind of see why. To be honest, someone had to suppose be the one to take the lead in something that, if we're going to say it, it really kicked off in the forties. Not that they didn't have some kind of knowledge or maybe an incline before that, but mm. someone had to take the lead and be like, you know, what is this and classify it, have a military approach, have a governmental approach, have classified programs and mm-hmm. at that point i'm probably right in saying the us in, in terms of like powerful nations was was the superpower um you know it was world war Two was just finishing mid mid late 40s mm-hmm. um russia was pretty strong but technologically not as advanced as the us i'm probably right in saying um china again i'm not too sure where they were at but again i don't think would have been where the us was so so yeah i get why the us would have been and i think even speaking to some guests it sounds to me like especially places like Brazil are quite happy to hand over, you know, to, to the US and sort of say, yep, yeah, it's fine. You take you take hold of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the background, those conversations are had at high levels to say if anything happens in terms of crashes of anomalous stuff, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in your best interest to hand it over to us. No doubt some kind of monetary exchange, te- technology, aid, whatever it might be with various countries and, and I can see that and I suppose that's why maybe from a UK point of view as well we'll have an interest but again be happy to defer to the US to be like yeah something happened do you want to come and deal with this because for whatever reason they they want to be well for for very well known reasons and others I'm sure but they want to be the ones in charge and do the the crash retrievals they've maybe got the kind of best heads up on it and maybe some countries again just using the uk don't want that high level involvement in whatever this might be that's a really good point i've not thought of it that way and it's you know i've not 
in the 10 years I've lived here, I've not heavily scrutinized our, our involvement here with the topic, but we tend to, since that conflict, since that war, defer to the Americans on a lot of things. I mean, to, to our East and in Europe as mm-hmm. well, always a well-balanced uh, kind of country in that respect. But I mean, mili- from a military perspective and defense perspective, it's, it's all, it's all USA. It seems like, and yeah, I, I, I wish sometimes our security apparatus and defense apparatus here in the UK were more involved in this. Uh, and, and maybe they are, they're just tight lipped about it. And that's maybe that's some, some directive from our friends in America, but just across the channel on a clear enough day, you can see France and they're far more open about it. Very culturally different. Uh, doesn't mean people don't snicker and sneer at my wife's French and, you know, she rolls her eyes about all this stuff. And I'm like, your government has done a fantastic job documenting this and being very open about it. Uh, you, you of all people should, should, uh, take that seriously. But, but any event, it's, um, it's a dynamic, I, I think, is going to start breaking down just, you know, there's a whole lot of citizen witnesses coming out that like just, uh, just to heart back on the, the James Fox stuff, just because it's so recent in my mind from the other day, Mm. having watched that documentary and, and seen his other bits as well from, from years ago, sometimes it's, you know, the, the weight of the evidence of some of this stuff is just going to be enough, I think to, to push, society into thinking about this stuff differently it's not going to be some 5k you know eight gigabyte 30 second video that's going to tell all and and even then people are just going to be like oh that's a deep fake or you know that's bs um so i i think it's i think it's just there's, there's many legs to the stool here proverbially and i think you know the u.s's involvement the congressional sort of report is one of them the cooperation uh, from the defense and security uh, agencies, Air Force, seemingly notwithstanding, they're they're fairly muted in a lot of this. I always find that a bit interesting. The U.S. Air Force are sort of toxically tight-lipped and and quiet about this stuff. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, that's that's interesting. I, I mean, that, that there's nothing novel in that that uh, that concept, but it's very interesting. The Air Force and all of this, they're very quiet. Do you know what? I'll put my, I'll put my air air force sympathizer hat on just for a second. Then, okay, because I think um, just to play devil's advocate, which I like to do, I reckon that various parts of the U.S. government and other other areas like the Navy and such come across accidentally U.S. Air Force secret tech now and again uh, when they're not meant to, or maybe there is some testing goes on in its own own people, which I don't doubt most governments do. That that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's historical evidence for that. Uh, but I would also understand why, not agreeing with it, but understand why they have had a long-held silence on the topic because, again, they have held a lot of the cards for this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're now losing some of that monopoly on the conversation, the technology, the progress and the future of it. And they don't want to lose that. And why would you? Mm. You know, if you were if you were like British Telecom in the UK who at one point ran the UK's phone line system 
And then you had Monopoly over this new thing called the internet and you could charge everyone whatever you wanted and you had the say-so on how it was run. And then Virgin Media come along and NTL, Telewest as it was at the time, and Sky and TalkTalk. And all of a sudden, all these other companies want a piece of that pie. Now, that's a commercial thing, but you then take it to a military level and you know private contractors being involved in the trillions of dollars yeah. that are at stake with that. And then all of a sudden, you have people poking their nose in your business, your money, your affairs, the power that must go on at that level and the conversations that just don't want to be had. So I can see why the US Air Force are staying as tight-lipped as long as possible. They're very powerful, even within their own government. Um I get that. And and you mentioned, Tim, on, on the report itself, I seen some people earlier and I was having a bit of a chat on, I've had a busy weekend, so I've been not on social media as much. Um, but uh, one of the listeners, or at least a, a Twitter uh, follower, commenter, was uh, saying that, you know, uh, Ryan, uh, UFO Jesus, was talking about the, the report and how it should be bigger and better than the first one. And I, I just made the point that, yeah, even though it's the second, it's not by the same people. And the office has changed names since then. And Sean Kirkpatrick, who's in charge of it, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, who has had, what, six or seven months, as far as we know, to to put this together. I just go back to the fact that Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon last year, when the first preliminary report was coming out, kept saying on, on mainstream news that really this needs two to three years to put a full comprehensive report together and really get your teeth into this subject and pull the data that's required to just move forward. So I don't see why a second follow-up report by a different team for a different office less than a year after the last one with only six months to put it together is going to be that groundbreaking. So I agree with you in the first place that I don't think it's been held back through any conspiracy theory, really. Mm -hmm. I think it's to do with red tape, bureaucracy, probably hands being tied behind their back as Chris Mellon used to say about the, the last report. Um, and I think, again, it's going to be tentative baby steps. That This is funded to 2026. Hopefully the, the reports continue to come and with each one we see progress and movement on those. Yeah. And for me, there'll be some interesting stuff in there, but I don't think we're going to get pictures and testimony and yeah. smoking gun stuff. It's going to be someone's attempt at their first report on this topic as best they could in six months. Yeah, it'd probably be some Excel spreadsheet looking shit pasted in there, figures about numbers of things reported. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I don't think it's going to be particularly interesting. I, and I set the bar low just because I've seen one already, for, you know, so it's. Well, 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 what we do know, yeah, what we do know is from people online, uh, Julian Barnes' New York Times article cited that half the reports within the mm-hmm. the unclassified version that should come out is going to say that there are around 366 reports of which half of them have been identified as drones, airborne clutter and misidentifications, which is great. So if we're still going off the basis that there's around 180, you could even then say half of those are just not being investigated to the to the level or mm-hmm. they can't investigate them to the level that need to show that it was some kind of Chinese drone or US drone or something they came across they weren't quite sure, but it wasn't alien. It only needs to have that handful, doesn't it, of really unexplained. And that's that, I think, was the the ultimate frustration in Julian Barnes' article that it was so dismissive of. Well, yeah, half of them are this. I use the analogy that imagine, Tim, that you went up for your company for awards and you were up for 10 awards for, you know, businessman of the year, salesman of the year, and you you walk away winning five of them. No one's going to go away and say, hey, this guy was up for 10 awards and only won half of them. (laughs) 
Yeah, you're you're working about five awards, and that's that's it. You're you're just focusing on the negative rather than yeah, the I, stuff that's there that I needs followed up. Yeah, and I appreciate you uh, nominating me for fictitious awards. I appreciate that, man. I uh, I like that you think I could even win an award. Well, well but, deserved. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I think that. Uh, I think I, it's I, follow your, I follow your LinkedIn, don't I? So I, I ask you how busy you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's all yeah. I, I think that I think that uh, that article actually wasn't something I was going to comment on, but now that you mentioned it, I I find it very confusing because the New York Times is definitely peak journalism in a lot of ways. It's the pinnacle of uh quality journalism generally i mean i st- to this minute think it's one of the best mm-hmm. papers in the world um you know behind le monde and you know several others the guardian i still hold hold in high regard uh but they've made mistakes before i mean they're not infallible i mean the, back in the iraq war in the bush eras excuse me iraq 2 uh there was a whole there was a whole mis- there's a whole row they had about um national security with um weapons of mass destruction existing or not existing uh and there's a security correspondent or editor called james risen i think his name was and he had a piece that was ready to go about there being you know nothing there nothing to see this is not what it is don't you know don't believe this we're not we shouldn't you know be proceeding on this basis and the pentagon and the editorial powers at the new york times shut it down because they had a different agenda, uh, and this is all uh, this is all well evidenced. I mean, I'm not su- suggesting you put it in the links uh, or anything like you normally do, but this is a this is one of many <laughs> examples where the New York Times made a powerful editorial decision based on a buddy buddy relationship with the U.S. Defense Department. Uh, yeah. So it's it's but but then in 2017 they had that pinnacle article we all sort of revere and, and talk about all the time. So they're they're capable of doing it both ways in some respects. It's like here's here's this really interesting shit you should look at, and then five years later, it's uh, well, a lot of it's you know Batman balloons and Chinese tech that make right angle turns, like this this kind of stuff. It's really mm. it's really interesting to see them kind of saturate the narrative with with both sides of it, um, which is you know indicative of some kind of counterintelligence work i mean i wouldn't be surprised if they were being fed this stuff and running with some of it and not running with other bits uh but isn't it isn't it i mean i guess the, the headline there should have been different though i mean if that that, that should have been on the front page if you know air airspace is uh, restricted airspace is constantly interdict you know constantly filled with chinese tech we don't understand that's not good either so you know that's that's also very confusing but hey, yeah, there was like there was a huge bias, wasn't there, in the way it was written, and I think that was a disappointing thing. And yeah. if you want to call it the the anti anti UFO article to to Leslie Kane, Helene Cooper, and Ralph Blumenthal's original work, then then yeah, and there was a lot of fair points in it. It's just the way that work was put across, so it mm-hmm. wasn't like he was lying. But like you say, it does reek of someone putting in a phone call to someone to say here look do you want to write this article and we'll give you some some kind of heads up and a bit of a scoop yeah tim listen uh we've went on a little bit but it's always good hearing from you your points have been uh broad and varied as well which is always good for a call-in so uh do call in again mate thanks mate talk to you later
Babbel is one of today's sponsors and they are the best way for you to begin to learn a new language. Immersing yourself in the language of your choice from day one through a whole range of learning styles including podcasts, games and online classes. It's available on desktop or through their app. Babbel's courses are created by didactics experts and focus on real-life situations. So if you're holidaying in France and spot a UFO, you can get locals' attention quickly and efficiently. The lessons are as short as 15 minutes and fit into any schedule and can be downloaded to work on offline while on the go. With the help of everyday dialogue exercises and the speech recognition software, learners can practice their pronunciation and regular vocabulary repetition ensures that what is learned is memorised over the long term. I can already hear some of you listeners getting in touch to tell me I should really learn English given my dodgy accent. When you buy a six-month subscription to Babbel, you receive six months extra for free by using the code AUDIO1. That's A-U-D-I-O-1, the number one. Pay for six months and learn for a whole year. Get info and redeem the code at babbel.com forward slash audio. Folks, today is the day you finally decide to make a life-changing decision and learn that new language. And finally, on the listener, Colin, we have Mike out in Arizona. Mike, how are we? Hey, it's an it's an absolute pleasure to be here, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, you know, just just a little bit of a backstory on me. I've been chasing this for for over thirty years. Uh, I remember when when I was in college, I I used to snowboard a lot, and I had a giant gray on my snowboard, and and underneath it said "Believe." And, and I'd strike up conversations with people uh, in a lift line um, and everyone would very discreetly kind of talk about it. And, and I'd listen to the Art Bell show in the middle of the night. And, and it was just something that it is entirely different the way it is today. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can talk about things today. There's, there's your podcast. There's, you know, without people looking at you like you're crazy. And um, so uh, I, I've, I, like I said, never had an experience uh, despite so many efforts. I mean, I was even in Phoenix during the Phoenix Lights, but it just so happened I was in college at the time. I went in and, and had a little bit too much fun that night and partied, <laughs> passed out early. Everybody else came back with this big story and I didn't see nothing. So uh, I, I tell you, your your podcast is is tremendous because I feel like uh, it, it's it's a group of people that, that are discussing a topic that that is so important to me because i i just think that th- there's an answer here not not only to to why we're here uh you know the existence of a god i mean who knows you know what all this could answer and, and it's frustrating especially as somebody that was in the military i was active duty military which i never dared talk about this during the time that was in the 90s yeah. they would have pulled uh, my security clearance in a minute uh, and, and then I was in federal law enforcement and, uh, I got to tell you, um, it's frustrating because this secret doesn't belong to, to just one country or, or just a, a group of bureaucrats or, or generals or whatever. And, and the way you guys get after it and, and present everything in, in such a, uh, a reasonable and, and just informative manner, I got to tell you, Dan has more of an understanding of, of us legislation than I do. And he don't even live here. Um, and, and I guess you guys playing all the time. Uh, my girlfriend's from Mexico. She could care less if there's there's aliens or not. Uh, she's she never, never seen anything UFO-wise. She don't understand Andy to save her life. 
Um, and I keep trying to have to translate for you. Um, but God bless her. She, she don't care either. So it, it's just a, such a great place to be, um, to, to come and, and, and talk with like-minded people that, that, you know, are, are just kind of level-headed and clear. And, and so that was really the, the primary reason that I wanted to call was to say thank you. I found you guys uh, well over a year ago. Um, I was late to the the podcast game a um, little bit, uh, uh, um, you know, later in my years. Um, and it's just something that, that I never uh, really pursued. But um, you've been there through difficult times for me. Uh, and it's just uh, it's just wonderful to be able to call and acknowledge the work that you do. There is one thing that I want to share on on FOI, and and God bless John, man. That 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 guy, been watching him since he was fifteen, chase after this documentation, in the U.S. government. Yeah. And so, as someone that that had, um, I'll never forget when when I went to to a desk job for a while, um, they gave me an FOI exempt stamp, and it just said FOI exempt. And the guy literally that was training me said to me. If you don't want to answer this shit, excuse my French, or, or you know, you this, this is just just stamp it with this, and and we can all move on, and it goes into a separate section of the file. And I was like, well, you know, what what exactly does exempt mean? Well, there, there's a whole policy on it, but don't worry about it. You're you're kind of the gatekeeper. And I thought, well, you know, that that's just that doesn't seem like appropriate in any way. And and I heard Lou Elizondo talk about when these FOI requests come in, and he's right. Um, you're a guy that that's doing a job that that really requires you know 18 hours a day, but you got eight, and, and here comes some FOI request, and and it is so dependent on the person that gets it, what mm. their agenda is, uh, and and so you know when when you're chasing FOI, just just keep that in mind. Um, it's a uh, it's fascinating to be on the back end of that. And and then the last little little thing that I'll share with you that that's relevant is I used to work with an FBI agent uh, on a task force, and he had the the agent Molder poster in his office, like like prominent behind his desk. And and I remember I got so giddy when I walked in, and I was like, man, I want to talk to this guy about it. And uh, I said, so you know, hey man, I, you know, I believe what like what's up with that? Oh no, no, they they exist, they exist. And I said, uh, well, will you, do you care to share more? Because I can't. And I go, really, you're going to do me like this? And, and, uh, you know, those are the, those are the only experiences that I got, like, you know, as far as that are relevant in this world, uh, other than, like I said, just, just the ability to say, thank you so much, Andy, man, you, you, you got a hell of a podcast and in the interviews that you do, dude, they're so sought out and they're so professional. And, and, uh, I mean, you would have think that you've been a host for years, man. This is outstanding. Thank you, Mike. You give Grant Cameron a run for his money for me introducing someone and then talking. Uh, so people, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it was yesterday. I said, uh, "What do you want to talk about?" So no, that that was really appreciated, mate. Like, I've made some notes as you've kind of went through. Um, listen, po- podcast wise, I've always said I've never had. I'm a huge fan of podcasting and podcasts. I've been listening to them for for going back like 11 or 12 years. The, the first podcast for anyone who's interested, um, it's not UFO related. I used to listen to a guy's show in the UK called Ian Lee. And um, for people who don't know Ian Lee, he was the host of a show called The 10 O'Clock Show. Um, was it 10 O'Clock Show? And it's where Ricky Gervais got his big break. Um, And it's really funny because this guy, Ian Lee, was the main guy on this show. Yet 
the the backup characters were Ricky Gervais and Sasha Baron Cohen as Ali G, who both went on to be major names in Hollywood. And this guy, Ian Lee, never quite made it the way they did. And he had a podcast and I used to find it hilarious. So I've had many, many years of listening to podcasts and different genres of podcasting. So I've probably stolen a little bit from everyone I listen to. Um, but if, if people like it, that's amazing because I think the one thing that always held me back from starting a podcast years ago um, was would anyone listen to it? And it, it genuinely is unbelievable. Anyone anyone does, let alone the people that do now. So And yourself, mate. So thank you. And um, you know, thanks to your, your girlfriend who probably doesn't understand a word I'm saying when you play this back to her. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a few things that you touched on. So never having had a sighting like it's funny how many people get in touch with me and do say that that they're huge fans of the ufo topic and subject but they themselves have never seen anything and they're, they're desperate to see it um and i could i could make up and say that since i started this podcast i've had lots of different experiences and sightings and i haven't um nothing worth talking about you know i've saw stuff in the sky that was more than likely a satellite or something like that, you know, but it'd be nothing worth coming on to say I saw some lights in the sky. So it is really, really strange, ironic that so many people enjoy the topic, but haven't had an experience themselves. And I don't know if there's anything to that. I think it, like you say, it's just your luck. Like you say that night in the Phoenix lights that you went and had a, a really good night at, at college, but you know, you missed one of the most famous sightings and mass sightings in history. Um, but it's, it's it's an honesty that, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I think it's just being in the right place at the right time when it comes to a lot of that. Uh, I, I like that you said that there, there is an answer to this this topic. Um, I still think we're looking for a lot of the questions, let alone the answers, because even since I began the podcast, I used to think, you know, like I think most people, you come into the UFO topic with the idea that is there something coming from another planet to visit us, which is incredible enough. And once you spend a little bit of time in it, listening to different people, and you, you start to hear different names, whether it's Stephen Greer, Linda Moulton Howe, Grant Cameron, Stephen Bassett, Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, all these different sides of a fence. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, different dimensions, you know, they're on the planet, they're off planet, they're different realities, they're spiritual, they're not spiritual, it's angels, it's demons. And it's crazy how, how deep you can go down the rabbit hole, but... I think for me, a lot of that is what keeps it fascinating. And I get why that frustrates so many people as well. Um, just to ask you, where do you sit, Mike, and you know, what, what this phenomenon is? Have you got a rough hypothesis you work with? If someone asks you, well, what do you think's flying these things? Yeah, I, I mean, I look at it, uh, the, the level, at least from the U.S. military side of the house, and I, I spent eight years as, as an officer in the Army, and, and the level of, um, you know, safety concerns and, and cross-training and everything that goes with it, I, I, would, I would be so blown away and flabbergasted if this was somehow, uh, you know, whether it was private sector or military, uh, you know, kind of practicing against our ships and doing something without us knowing – and getting this close to pilots and 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 having uh you know soldiers that that are literally stepping forward going you know I, I I've got physical ailments as a result of this etc without letting us know like like I just I can't buy into that 
Um, after watching uh, Russia's absolute, you know, goat rope of an invasion into a country, I can't believe they got something like this. Um, I, I just, I can only imagine that it's off world. But real quick, going back to, to what you said, you know, even if there aren't any answers, but they can just tell us this ain't us, period, meaning the human race, then all of a sudden, man, that cracks open the can of discussion to so many different things that I, I just, I don't know. It, it depends on who you're talking to. Like I said, my girlfriend is from Mexico. She's a practicing Catholic. That, that's the only story she's got, and, and she's sticking to it. Whereas me, I, 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 you know, for a long time, I've been wandering around going, well, you know, why are we here? And, and, and are there other people? And, and just to hear, okay, maybe there's another answer here that, that could spark so much, you know, investigation and discussion and, and, and bring us all together. I mean, look at you're, you're, you're across the pond, as you say, uh, you know, and you and I don't even know each other, man, but, but, but you're part of my household every single day. Look at the way that this thing brings people together, regardless of, of political uh, ideology, you know, who, what country you're in don't matter. You know, we're all just kind of getting to the same answer. So I, I just, uh, and long answer to your question, I, I just can't imagine that it's it's part of something that 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 we is it has been our narrative for a long time. It just can't be. Yeah, and I think that's very fair. And you also mentioned uh, John Greenwald uh, and his freedom of information process, and he, he is phenomenal. And he has people joke about him being the king of FOIA and all that kind of stuff, but he he is the best at that because. You're, you're right that it's still a system that involves someone making a decision at the end of it. And I don't think it's a big government conspiracy and neither would John, I don't believe either, when he doesn't get something returned. It is just the competency of the person at the other end answering the request at that time. Uh, and it's how, how well versed are they in the role they're in? How long have they been in that job? Are they having a good day? Are they having a bad day? And it seems to me that someone like John, it's the tenacity and the, the time and effort they put into what they do. You know, multiple FOIA requests going after the same thing multiple times. The patience to go after something that's been refused for years is all very much appreciated. And that, I support John through his Patreon for that because I appreciate his podcast, but also appreciate just what he does. I don't always agree with him, but that's the same as most people in this topic. I don't always agree but you don't have to. And it's just interesting to hear different people's take. And yeah, what John does is is fantastic. And it would be great to see and hear more people taking up that mantle to to do those sorts of requests, but it's time consuming. It takes a lot. It's like, I think it's like learning guitar. I think it takes a short time to get okay and, and learn, but it takes a long time to master. Um, And that's what he's kind of putting in the hard yards. You're 100% right on the other end. So it would literally take three packets. Okay, so so the first packet that I would make was what gets sent out to the requester. The second one was what gets sent out to my boss and, and the reason why that I'm not putting the other stuff in the requester's packet. And the third one is is that's going in the file. Is what, I mean, okay, so that might not sound like much, but multiply that by, by five or ten a day man, I ain't got time for all this. You know what I mean? And and it's difficult, you know, on the other end, because this is the right of the people, you know? And so you want to be receptive to that. But like I said, you're, you're trying to accomplish, uh, you know, a 16 hour day and eight. And, and so you become very, uh, 
I don't know what the right word is. You just, you're just a jerk about it. And you go, Oh, here we go again. Here's an yeah. FOI request. And you know, so yeah, it's uh, it, it, there, you're, you're hundred percent right. It's, it's uh, on the other end, what's up with that. And you know what, honestly, it has to do with also the requester. And I've got a, a honest uh, or, or a sincere thought that, that John has earned the respect of people because he sinks his teeth into it and he won't let it go. If it's just some Joe Snuffy or it's not an attorney or not a, a, a well, a congressman would be a whole nother level. But, uh, you know, if it's not somebody that's got some weight behind them, they get put in the pay no mind file. But if I know that John's going to sit there and get on his podcast and put me on blast because I haven't answered this thing in a while, I'm I'm going to I'm going to pay a little more attention to his request. Absolutely. Um, just before you go, I, do, I want to ask you, Mike, we're, we're still waiting as of recording this for that unclassified report to drop. And I'm I'm assured that it is going to come out at some point. Just when that might be is, is anyone's guess at this time. Are you expecting much from it? Well, I, I got to tell you, and, and, I, and I heard Dan's comments, too, and, and to paraphrase from what I thought he understood was, Hey, you know, this is just a, a standard hiccup in the process and everything. I, I look at it at this point in time, after 30 some years of, of playing this game, I I feel like it's almost like a uh, it's almost like a neighbor that you owe something to and you know you gotta give it back to him, but but you don't really don't respect that neighbor and you go, Yeah, 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 I'll get it to you tomorrow. And 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 I just feel like this is some sort of like almost passive aggressive, like you know, I don't care if you're Congress, I don't care if you're Senate, I don't care what it is. We'll get this to you when when we want to. And and, and I believe that it's it's going to be, uh, you know, because if you go back and, and Richard Dolan really puts it well, man, when, when you if if you follow the timeline all the way back to the 40s and, and believe that there's a cover up, because here's the other big part of this that 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 people forget. You can't just arbitrarily go to a private company in the United States if you're the government and go, here, here's something that we kind of found and, and you guys see what you can do with it. And, and if you go back to Colonel Corso uh, with, with his book, what he was saying was, is you guys keep all the benefits of it. Just tell us how this shit works. That don't work uh, in in the contracting laws of, of the United States government. You got to give everybody a chance to put a bid forward and do it. So if we've been playing these games since the '40s, man, there's unless they got legislation at the end of the day that's going to let everybody off the hook, there's people going to jail over this stuff. I, I you know, and and, and there's there's companies that are going to have to pay retributions because they got unfair advantages. So no, and long answer to your question, I think they're going to slow walk us as long as they want. And, and, and then at the end of the day, it's just going to be nothing, nothing, nothing. And, and I don't know what could crack it. I, I, I really don't at this point. And other, other than, than there just being an absolute event that nobody can, can, can see, you know, they always say the White House lawn, but, but just somebody, uh, you know, uh, or, or something rather showing up in broad daylight going, here we are in the government having to give answers for it. Well, Mike, you dropped me a Twitter DM to get a recording on the call-in, and it was very much appreciated. Uh, if anyone else wants to get involved in future call-ins, DMs or email is always the best way to do it, and we'll get something arranged. It's been great to speak with you finally, Mike, because you've been fantastic on the, the UFO Twitter for, for a long time now, so it's really good to finally talk. Likewise, and thank you for your hard work, Andy, man. I mean, I know this ain't, 
this ain't easy. And, and I really hope that uh, you, you continue your efforts because it's so, so appreciated. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Mike. Hey, Andy. Uh, everybody. Uh, Hello. Uh, Andy michigan but um this uap experience uh took place in colorado um, out in the rockies and a town called avon it's uh about eight thousand feet up in elevation um so you know it's out there there's not a whole lot around it's just like a little little mountain town very ritzy kind of right by vale um, so this happened back in 2013, towards the end of winter, so February or March of 2013. Um, yeah, so, um, like I said, I was out living in Colorado, um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, let's just call her Sarah, um, her family had a house up in Avon, which is where Beaver Creek Ski Resort is. And we hung out there two to three days every week, all winter, every single year. It's what we did. You know, we, she skied, I snowboarded. But that's what we did. Just every day off, we were there. So we're very familiar with the mountain. We know our way around. We can say, you know, meet you at this lift or this bathroom or whatever we could get there we knew the place pretty well um so one day we went skiing it was blue sky and there's not a cloud in the sky we call it a bluebird day out there on the mountains but um yeah we get there about eight in the morning you know for first chair it's where the best snow is so you want to be there um, and since we're staying right across the street, it makes it kind of nice. <clears throat> so we head over there, do our skiing from about 8 to 10, 10.30 in the morning. And Sarah says uh, she has to go to the bathroom. So that's cool. We take a little breather. We're up at the top of the mountain. And so we, she says what lift she'll be at. So let me just meet you down there. Okay, see ya. So she takes off, and I kind of work my way down by myself, get all the way down to the bottom. I was taking my time because, you know, she's going to be five or ten minutes. And uh, I get to the bottom of the lift, probably about a hundred feet away from the chair and where we we're going to meet. So she'll see me. I had an orange jacket, like, you're not going to miss me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I get down to the bottom, and I just plop down on my back. You know, exhausted. Skiing's a ton of work. And, you know, you're all in your gear and stuff, so you can lay in the snow, stare at the sky. It's fine. You're not cold or wet or anything. So I just plop down. I still got my goggles on, gloves, everything, um, headphones in. And I'm looking straight up. And like I said, completely blue sky, not a cloud. Um, so directly above me, um, I don't know the distance, maybe 50 to 75 feet above me, straight up, um, is this white, 
kind of milky orb-looking thing, for lack of a better term. It's probably a little bigger than a basketball in size. And I lock eyes with it, and I kind of just watch it, and it's it's coming down, you know, kind of not straight down. It's kind of like fluttering, almost like like you would uh, like a leaf or a feather or something would fall, you know, like flutters to the left and then flutters to the right as it goes down, you know, kind of back and back, uh, back and forth action. Well, that's kind of what it reminded me of. And so I'm just sitting there watching this thing. And nothing has even clicked yet. I, I think I still thought it was a reflection in my goggles. So um, I'm chilling. And it just keeps getting closer and closer and closer. And it made it about 15 feet above me, maybe even 10. And during that time, I had not... Uh, looked away. I just been staring dead at it. Took my goggles off, muted my headphones, and it's there. It it's, didn't change. It wasn't the goggles or anything. So I'm standing up, like looking straight up, like with my mouth open. <laughs> and then I hear Sarah go, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> and then I like looked at her. I'm like, "You can see that?" And she's like, "Yeah. What is that?" Like, I don't know. Like, you know, we were looking at each other, talking, look back, and it started going up. Basically the same way as it came down. It's like fluttering up, oddly enough. I don't think it was retracing the same path, like, that's not what I'm saying. It's just, just the motion. Um, that's, I don't know, that's what it looked like. Um... Yeah, so like this this orb was just like a white clear. It's just like everything you see in, in photographs and videos. Um, more milky in the middle, kind of like with a pronounced circle, and then more kind of clear towards the outsides. You know, like you're looking through a pane of glass, or like even yeah, a pane of glass in the middle would be like frosted glass. Um, that's I don't know sort of. It's the best I can do to describe it. A little bit bigger than uh, basketball, like I said. Um, so yeah, it, it floated up. It didn't like take off or do anything. It just kind of went straight back up until we couldn't see it anymore. And then we kind of looked at each other like, whoa. And we went back to skiing, you know, because it's what you do out there. Um, yeah, I, we never really discussed it much um a little that day on the on the chair right up but then it kind of just i don't know kind of just like i don't know i don't know why i didn't talk about it or even write it down it wasn't even until i was listening to your podcast where i thought hey it's not a craft or anything but sure i mean it was in the air and i don't know what the heck it was so UAP works for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is my story. Um, yeah, big fan. Thanks a lot, Andy.
that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFOUAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fire. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, I think it's you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake? Thank you.